Welcome back to the Segmentist Podcast, everybody. I'm Kaylee Fritz, back from a brief hiatus, brief week off for myself. As I mentioned before, we're going to be kind of switching up the, the old podcast crew every week here with today. Abby, Mickey, how are you, Abby? Hello, yes. Great. Glad to hear it. Glad to hear it. Dan Cash. Hi. Did I get a question or just my name? Nope. Yep. Hi. Hey. Ronan, what is up with your headphones? I have massive big headphones on, uh, mostly because I want to get into sim racing, but the headphones is the only piece that I can afford so far. You look like you belong <laughs> on a flight deck. Like you should yeah, be waving. It yeah. looks like you're um, taking a break from playing uh, Call of Duty to join us for this podcast. Yeah. Mm, I probably won't try Call of Duty, but perhaps Flight Simulator or something like that. And I need to fill my time with something now, so yeah, games is probably the way to go. Well, Ronan, part of the reason why we wanted you on the podcast today is because we need an update. Uh, the The audience out there is concerned about your leg, which snapped in two. Can mm-hmm. you Can you tell us about the leg now? Are you Are you doing better? Are you off uh, the morphine? I am slowly coming off it. Uh, I started I started weaning myself on Sunday, uh, and then I got mixed up and took the wrong tablet and accidentally didn't wean myself. Uh, <laughs> so I started again yesterday. Uh, and yesterday went well, but then this morning there was a bit of a, I, I thought I would have no update to give and that it was all going well, but this morning one of the nuts fell out of my, the big frame that I have in my leg, uh, and one of the, one of the pins came loose. So, uh, despite my sort of, uh, protestation otherwise, the, the hospital staff insisted that I come in to get it retightened. <laughs> uh, so I had an unexpected trip to hospital this morning. Which did have an upside in that it, I got an x-ray again, and it does look like it's progressing quite well. Uh, it's still in two parts, but uh, it's going the right direction. That is excellent news. That's mm. fantastic news. For, for our listeners who are not aware, can you tell them what you did to yourself? Uh, all I can really say is I came off my bicycle. <laughs> what, well, how the actual break was so severe, I'm not sure. I have a spiral and a displaced fracture of my tibia and a displaced fracture of my fibula uh, all of which meant that uh, because of the, the two differing types of fractures of my tibia I had to get what's called a Lazaroff frame uh, on on my left leg which is basically a, a big carbon titanium and stainless steel frame that wraps around the outside of my leg and uh, from what they tell me it provides so much support that they could actually theoretically cut out all the parts of my leg in between and I could still walk using my foot that isn't attached <laughs> to my body by a leg anymore. But basically it, it it's, it looks fairly. Why looks would fairly, they tell you that? <laughs> I, th- I think they were just trying to give me confidence in how good it was, but <laughs> really it just made me want to leave the place quicker. So um, yeah, it looks fairly, you know, it, it looks dreadful to be honest. And I, I believe somebody told me that the guy who actually invented, I'm guessing his name is Dr. Lazaroff, uh, was jailed for crimes against humanity when he developed this thing until they realized just how genius it was. And then they released him. And yeah, uh, now fast forward, I don't know, I guess a century later, I've got one on my leg and it is actually fantastic. I'm three weeks on from snapping my leg literally in two. I can walk on it. Um, I can pedal. I've turned the pedals over. I haven't actually cycled yet, but I can pedal. Uh, they're telling me that I could be running in two, three weeks if I want. It's it's kind of insane how impressive running? this thing is. Ru- what the, I can be running, but they will actually want me using the leg press machine within like three weeks, despite the fact that my leg is snapping too. So yeah, the when you. It kind of explains that, yes, you could actually cut out all the parts of my leg. <laughs> and the frame still provides enough support that I wouldn't just topple over. I like that your frame is made of, you said, steel, carbon, yes. and titanium. I th- mm-hmm. You throw some aluminum in there and you'll have like the all the bike materials <laughs> that you need to really make any kind of frame, you know? Yeah, I'm wondering <laughs> if they're going to let me keep it. I could perhaps melt parts of it down and meld it into a custom frame. <laughs> Anyway, we're further. glad that you're on the mend, Ronan. We're glad that you have your giant headphones and you're going to be spending the next couple months mostly playing F1 on your Xbox. Because uh, it sounds like the bike riding is still a fair ways away, unfortunately. But you'll get back. You'll be back sometime. For sure. Fingers crossed. Let's move into today's episode. We've got quite a lot 
to talk about. We've got Aussie road Nats that happened over the weekend. Some Caleb Ewan news, some Philippe Gilbert news, some Nibbly news, some Vanderpool news, some COVID news, and some Next Hash news. That's a lot of news in today's episode. And then for Nerd Nugget, Zwift might have a premium option, or it is going to have a premium option, may have a premium option. Anyway, we'll get into that at the end of the show. Ronan did some poking around and has info for us. Let's kick things off with Aussie Road Nationals. Happened over the weekend. We've got a whole bunch of new national champions. Abby, you kept an eye on the comings and goings down in Australia. Run us through what happened. I did, yeah. The women's race was super exciting in the final five, seven kilometers with Nicole Frain taking the win in a late race solo attack. She is part of the Rock Salt Live SRAM team. And really her whole team was just incredible throughout the day. Every time there was a break or any kind of move, there was one of them in it. They were really active during the whole race. And the race favorite, Grace Brown, really didn't stand a chance with the n- amount of numbers that they have had. Grace was solo. It's always weird when like a world tour rider is racing nationals by themselves. The dynamics of those races are wonky, but she tried her best and she ended up second. And third was Alyssa Politz, who's a relatively new rider on the um, Sydney Uni Staminade team. Um, and then fourth was Ruby Roseman Gannon, who's just had an incredible start to the year this year and is uh, her it's her debut world tour season with Team Bike Exchange. And she won the crit on Friday. And yeah, but overall, a good race. There was attack by Rachel Nalen in the final run into the finish after the final climb. You know, they've had this same course for 14, 15 years Um And so after the climb, there's a descent and a flat run to the finish. And uh, Rachel Nalen threw down an attack. And when she got brought back, that's when Nicole Frayne countered her move. And everyone looked at each other and the race was over. So pretty great win by Nicole to take that. She rode for Tibco Silicon Valley Bank last year. So she's no stranger to world tour level racing. She raced Paris-Roubaix with them as well. So on the men's side, Luke Plapp from Ineos Grenadiers was the winner. He was also solo. <laughs> he was also a solo Ryan rider. I just held line. up an Ineos jersey for some unknown reason. <laughs> Why fan. do you have that just like big fan? Next are you a big you? Like, are you a big Luke Plapp fan or a big Ineos fan? What are you what are you a fan of? Uh I was a Plapp fan and now I'm a fan of both, apparently. Hmm. I don't know. Why I, are you to answer your fan? question. I don't know. He time trials fast. He won time trial nationals last year as a yeah, strictly speaking at the time, an amateur. So, yeah, hmm. caught my imagination. Anyway. Well, <laughs> <laughs> there was a long-range move that included uh, Jimmy Whalen of the Bridge Lane team, formerly a rider for EF Education for Education First Nippo or whatever the heck they're called. And, and, he, and guest on this podcast. Yeah, he was on this podcast uh, during the Tour he de France. was during the Tour de France. So he was in a move that went kind of early in the race and included one of his teammates. And then he attacked that move and was solo for a couple laps before Luke Plapp jumped from the chasing group behind him that included pretty much all of the quote unquote heavy hitters. And Plapp went, rode straight up to Jimmy, didn't even slow down and rode right past him and went on to win solo. Uh, Jimmy held on for a second and third was Brendan Johnson. It pretty much what happened this year at Aussie Nationals was there was there was not a ton of like really top top riders there. A lot of the Australians were stuck in Europe. A lot of the World Tour and like big Australian names were stuck in Europe because of um, COVID travel restrictions and the like, and just the sheer cost of getting over to Australia. Um, so like a lot of the Australians on other, on other teams, uh, couldn't be at the race, but it was still a really exciting race. I think on both sides, I, I still don't really know how I feel about the fact that Aussie road Nats has been on the same course for like 15 years. Like in one way, it's kind of cool because everyone knows what they're getting. Everyone knows how to prepare. Everybody knows how to race it at this point. But on the other hand, if it doesn't suit you, you've been waiting around for 15 years for 
for an opportunity to win Aussie Road Nets, and you probably never will. And that that kind of sucks. I, I I I feel like a bit of change would be good. Maybe like a rotating cast of three courses or something. It makes you feel like other sports where you just play the same place all the time. Like cycling is pretty unique in that way. I, I think where like the Boston Red Sox, they they play at Fenway. That's what they do. You know, I mean, they go play other places as well. But in cycling, you know, even even iconic races, they change the course every year. And that's pretty unique. Whereas if you just keep going to the same place for nationals, that just doesn't feel it takes something away a little bit, I guess. But if you hey, if you're good on that course, you're not going to complain. Chloe Hosking is one of the most vocal about this. As we talked about it on Freewheeling, that will be out on Thursday or at some point in the near future about how she is one of the best Australian cyclists and one of the best sprinters in the world, but she's never won on that course and she never will. And it's kind of a bummer that she's never had the opportunity to race in the green and gold. And there's a lot of riders like that because the course is very, very singularly focused kind of. And, um, yeah, I mean, they even change up the world championships to suit sprinters every once in a while. The Qatar, Qatar worlds. That one was... That was rough. Not a whole lot of other options in Qatar, to be fair. <laughs> but at 15 years now, like there will be riders who have gone their full career who had literally zero chance of, of winning their national championships. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's kind of lame. Again, just from the outside here, not, not, we have z- precisely zero Australians <laughs> on the podcast this week. But from the outside, I think it's kind of lame. Shameless plug. If you listen to Freewheeling, we have two Australians, and they agree. And one of them has been the national champion before. So interesting. Well, make sure that you catch this week's freewheeling then. Head on over and do that. Should we continue on the Aussie bent here and and talk Caleb Ewan? Aussie sprinter, no less. Aussie sprinter, no less. What is Ewan doing this spring? That was an unintentional rhyme, but I'm sticking with it. I wasn't sure. I was. It kind of sounded like you meant to, but yeah, Ewan is doing uh, the Giro, the Tour, and Milan San Remo are some of his big objectives. I think Worlds as well. Uh, but yeah, his uh, Lotto Sudal team the other day came up with a very helpful press release. Maybe a little bit too informative. You know, this is the time of year where teams they tell you what their main riders are doing during the year, and Lotto sent out a press release that had like full race calendars for all of their big names and then some like including a few riders that I would not say necessarily are big names. I don't want to name them because that would be kind of mean. Caleb Ewan though is kind of continuing to target Milan San He's of course been second twice there, uh, including last year. I feel like Caleb Ewan kind of got a raw deal because the race was like a, it was a sprinter's race for forever. I mean, yeah, you'd occasionally get an attacker winning, but it was mostly a race for the sprinters like right up until he got good. And then ever since then, it's been a one or two guys getting away kind of thing. He was f- so phenomenal last year. Like it, it just feels like he's he's knocking on the door. Yeah, I, mean, I agree. He's, he's yep. got he's got to get one of these. Like it's just going to be a matter of having the right teammate around him at the right time, right? And be able to pull it pull it back together, and then he'll he'll win it at some point. So, and part of this press release, another big name, and he was he is a big name, I'd say. Uh, Philippe Gilbert's calendar was also revealed, and uh, I think the expectation is that Gilbert will work for Ewan at San Remo. Who knows? I mean, he could try to put in a big attack or something. Who knows if he'll even be there in the finale at this point. Uh, but there was a lot of talk. I mean, San Remo is the one monument that he has yet to win. Gilbert's, of course, won four of the five. Uh, and, and I think there was a brief period where people said, Ooh, can, can Gilbert win San Remo and get all five? And I, I'm pretty sure he's not going to win San Remo at this point. Um, but I think, I think at this point it's, it's, it's going to be Gilbert working for Ewan, or at least not being the primary option for Lado Sudal, whether he wants to be a good teammate or not, who knows? Uh, but that, that could be good for Ewan because I think Ewan's going to need all the help that Lado Sudal can give him to kind of keep that race, uh, together. I mean, in, in, in last year's San Remo, Jasper Stoyven put in this this amazing attack, I, which I, I just I went back and watched it because uh, we Abby and me and and uh, Amy wrote an article about or sort of a looking back on on some of our sort of favorite finales of the year. And Stoyven's attack was really amazing, and the timing was great. And but part of the reason he won was that there just nobody had domestiques in that group. There were like two people with with teammates there to help, which meant that nobody actually wanted to do the work themselves. And if Ewan had had one or two more guys. Maybe he wins a race like San Remo. So we'll see. That's the best thing about San Remo, though. 
that's the that's see see you know you you mentioned before that like it's kind of unfortunate that you and showed up right as the as Sin Remo kind of shifted and we went from this basically Sprinter's Classic to something that has been a much more of a mixed bag as of late. You know, there's been hills taken in and out and things like that, but I think part of it is just coming down to to how the Peloton is racing it these days as well. Like, yeah, it's unfortunate for you, and but man, it's it makes it it's my favorite race. Ah, not my not my favorite race. That and probably Roubaix are like my two favorite races all spring. And I know that Flanders will be up there for most people, but I I, I like San Remo more than the Tour of Flanders because you get an, a completely insane last fifteen minutes every single year, every single year. Whereas Flanders least half the time some dude's off the front for the last 35k and you're basically like well is he gonna get caught i don't know but it's basically over san remo i think it's the best bike race all year i think so up until then you can just keep for like six or seven hours you can just keep refreshing is milan san remo (laughs) exciting yet.com which is an actual website it is i just opened it up is milan san remo exciting yet.com uh current answer it's not (laughs) It, it, it's just there's just no there's one there's one page yeah it's just a yes or no page right sans, sans serif font and a big capital letters no <laughs> right now <laughs> i wonder i wonder how when does it switch who switches it somebody switches it it does work i looked at it last year during the race and it did change so yeah it tells you when to turn the tv on that's yeah. why i think it's 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 such a fantastic race for that exact reason you just know you're gonna get something good Right. Every other race in the calendar might be good, might be just fine. Milan San Remo is always, always good. Anyway, that was a bit of a tangent there. Philippe Gilbert probably not going to win uh, MSR this year. We're not going to see 2011 Philippe Gilbert back anytime soon. But you and might. Think. And that's good for but you. But you and might. And then he's going to go on to race the Giro, which is really good for him, I think, and for the Giro. Now, uh, Rovenu, not pleased with the lack of really big names racing his race. And he said, what he said, it was like two weeks ago. He kind of, why won't Tadej Pogacar come to my race? And I mean, maybe because it's a three week race and he's going to try to win the tour. I don't know. Uh, but he'll at least have Caleb Ewan there, assuming, um, assuming all goes well, according to plan. So that's good. And then, uh, Ewan will also race the tour. I mean, will he finish the Giro? Mm. Well, he didn't last year. Yeah. Which was a surprise to some who didn't read the cyclingtips.com article in which he literally <laughs> said, I'm not going to race the full Giro, probably, but you know. What a great website! This is why everyone must read every story we put it, we produce. That's how you can be fully informed and know whether Caleb Ewan will finish the Giro or not. Yeah, I agree. It's very important. Very important. I, I reckon having Ewan on the team is actually probably Gilbert's only chance of taking a Milan San Remo now and and playing that sort of support role and getting out there early, uh, forcing all our teams to chase and you know. Best case scenario for Ewan, he gets caught right at the top of the podio and then Ewan has someone to take that pull in the final kilometer. Um, or if it works out for Gilbert, either way, Lotto Sudal get a win in Milan San Remo, which I don't think they've had since, uh, what's his name? The guy who wasn't Belgian before, but is Belgian now, was the sports minister of... Uh, Ooh, uh, what? <laughs> so he wasn't... Andre Schmiel. Ah, yeah. I didn't realize he was not Belgian and then became Belgian. I didn't realize he became Belgian. He was Moldovan yeah. and then he was Russian. No, he was Russian and then he was Moldovan and then he was Ukrainian. That is never, no, that's never good. I'm getting like <laughs> Olga Zevolinskaya PTSD. Listen into that. <laughs> His Wikipedia page is great because it lists all of those national. He was a retired Soviet, Moldovan, Ukrainian, and Belgian, says his Wikipedia, with like little dates <laughs> for the periods in which... He belonged to those, uh, you know, he was registered thus. Can you imagine he had won the national championships of each race and he just had <laughs> each sleeve completely covered in different flag stripes? Uh, Minister of Sport in Moldova. Yeah, you're right. Uh, nice. That was, wow, that was a random fact that you just pulled out of somewhere, Ronan. I'm, I'm pretty impressed. I am impressed. <laughs> I am impressed. I've got many books here on cycling. I've been reading them all. <laughs> It's true. You got a lot of time right now. You're, you're catching up. Uh, back to Philippe Gilbert. I, I agree that this, you're right. Like he needs a Caleb Ewan on the team to have any shot at MSR. I still don't think he has any shot <laughs> at MSR because frankly, there are other riders who would do have similar skill sets and are probably better at this point. 
But still, I mean, it's possible. It's possible. It'd be cool to see him do it. Uh, after MSR, he's going to be focusing on the Hilly Classics. This was sort of, the, to me, the, the biggest news out of that press release is that he's not planning to race Flanders or Roubaix, which is, I, I, you know, <clears throat> I'm of two minds on this because I don't think he really has much of a chance in those races anymore, uh, which is kind of interesting because, I mean, it wasn't that long ago that he won Flanders and Roubaix. Uh, but he was, just didn't do much last year to, to lead me to believe that he was going to be able to contend with the likes of, uh, you know, Wout van Aert. Um, he is focusing on the Ardennes, which is the kind of the races that made him famous, the, ra- the races where he just dominated for a few years. And I think it'd be really cool if he were somewhere near, you know, his best for the Ardennes Classics, and we can kind of see some classic Philippe Gilbert uh, at Amstel or something like that. That would be great. I, I don't know if that's going to happen, but I'm kind of looking forward to the possibility in his final season. I feel like if you only started following this sport around 2015, you probably don't really know why we're talking about him so much because it's really, it's been a while now since Philippe Gilbert was, was that, I mean, you know, he, he was the, I'm just looking at the pro cycling stats rankings, which we've talked about this before. We, we tend to like those more than the, more than the UCI ones. He was first in 2011, which makes perfect sense because he basically won every single bike race that he wanted to win that year. He was 189th in 2021 uh, and has not, yeah, 44th in 2019, 38th in 2018. Had a good 2017. I think that was a contract year, 12th uh, that year. Yeah, he's just, I, I don't know. We talk about him because he, he is still one of the greatest of all time, right? Like he, 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 that, that season he had in 2011 is, was, was absolutely astounding. But I don't really see him doing much this year, unfortunately. He's just... He's just, you know, he's not, he's old now. I Sorry, Philippe. This, this could, <laughs> uh, just not, you're not going to do it. This could make some Tom Bonin fans a little bit angry, but there's a similar thing that happened with Tom Bonin towards the end of his career. And I feel like we talked about him for like three, three years. Like people talked about him as a potential race winner for like three years after that was, that was something that he was doing. And yeah. we're only really just getting to that point with Gilbert because he won a monument in 2019. Whereas Bonin, it was like, oh, maybe he could win this race. And it was five years after, you know, his last really big win. And Quickstep was building their whole strategy with him in mind. And it was pretty clear that they probably shouldn't be doing that. So as bad as it is, I mean, at least Gilbert is only three years removed from winning a monument. True. A monument that probably most people would not have said he would win that year. Harry would be. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. That was a surprise. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, I don't know. Bonin was always a... He was a bigger star than Gilbert too, like for for mostly because he was he's Flemish and not French speaking Belgian. Like that that actually makes a pretty big difference in the in that part of the world. And and I mean, I'll, like I'll always remember Bonin's last Roubaix was he came in thirteenth or something like that. But uh, Skeldepress, the the sort of midweek mini classic, semi classic in in the in the gap in between Flanders and Roubaix, like the the number of people wandering around with big Bonin like cardboard faces and apparently the course went by like his sister's hairdresser shop or something like, like this is the kind of things that they would do for Tom Bonin is, is put the course past his sister's hairdresser shop. (laughs) They weren't really doing that kind of stuff for Philippe Gilbert. He also did finish second at Roubaix, like as late as 2016, which is pretty impressive. I mean, on the other hand, he got out sprinted by Matt Heyman, which is sort of like a, how, what you're Tom Bonin, which is less impressive. Yeah. Yeah. But it was, yeah. I mean, to, to finish second at Roubaix, I mean, that's pretty good. I, I, I yeah. can't really. And Heyman that. was unbelievable that day. So, you know, if, if you're up against somebody who's just on the, on the ride of their life, second is not too bad. Should we move on from Philippe Gilbert? Because, again, anybody who started following the sport in the last five years is going to have no idea why, we, why we've been hemming and hawing and hammering on about this for, for the last 10 minutes. And let's talk about... Another rider who is definitely going to do incredible things this year, Vincenzo Nibali. Dane, what is, what's, what's Nibali up to in 2022? Well, first of all, we should point out that Nibali was pretty recently second in a Grand Tour. So he's, he may seem like he's past his, maybe he is past his prime, but I mean, he's still, he is. He's still one, of, one of the riders that you need to be knowing what he's up to in a big race. Uh, this season, and this is pretty exciting, uh, he's going to be racing, or at least assuming he's healthy, he's planning to race all five monuments. Uh, which is something that I think now it might not seem like just a awesome. big deal, but because, you know, Tadej Pogacar and, and Primoz Roglic are both really into one-day racing, which is awesome. But there was a really long period, basically a decade, where the Sky Grand Tour riders, i.e. Chris Froome, 
would not really race one days. So boring. You know, and so the, the, the tour winner or the tour contenders were not really doing the one day races, really. And Nibley for a, a long time was really one of the only ones who would. Uh, and so now it might, might seem a little bit more normal, but I think it's pretty cool that he's doing this. Uh, this is this is kind of his thing. You know, he he is a monument winner. He's he's won Lombardia twice. Uh, and this year he's going to go all out and, and even race Paris-Roubaix, which is pretty cool. In addition to obviously Flanders and San Remo and the other monuments. I don't think he's going to do much at Paris-Roubaix. He's 37. Yep. I didn't I didn't realize he was he was so ancient. I apologize. You're talking, to he's like a spring chicken. <laughs> compared to the the, the other guy. Valverde. Valverde. Yeah. He's no Valverde. He's and he's certainly no uh Rebelin. 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 But he was know. top 10 at the year last year. Top 10 at Lombardia. I know. So I know. I mean, Nibali has to be one of the classiest riders of the last two decades, right? Like the, the number of different things that he's done, the number of incredible days that he's had, the number of amazing wins that he's had across this this vast plethora of of different types of races. And you know, his 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 skills descending that have won has won him races, his skills climbing that has won him races. He's won little, you know, small group sprints. He's he's done all kinds of different stuff. He's just, you know, he's one of the best bike racers of the sort of post-2000 era at this point, right? He has to be. Mm-hmm. Won the Lance Rainbow, of course. Yeah. Won the Lance Rainbow. All three Grand Tours. Yeah. Well, I've held that conversation. <laughs> <laughs> You've said everything there is to say. We did find out last year's Tour de France that, you know, he supports the Italian football team, surprisingly. But beyond that, there's not much more to say. <laughs> well, he's racing Roubaix this year. Can, like, can he? Can he do? Can he do? Didn't he? Didn't there? he? Like, when he won his Tour de France, he did sort of take a good chunk of time on the Roubaix stage. Uh, yeah, and, and he certainly has the bike handling skills. But you know, the Roubaix stage of the Tour de France and Paris Roubaix are two entirely different beasts. I think. Very different uh, as yeah, as as difficult and as chaotic as the Roubaix stage of the Tour usually is. It's a it's a different story, yeah. When you when you've got the classics riders in peak form in classic season riding Roubaix for the win, um, it's 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 different than in, in the tour when you have classics riders quite often working for their GC leaders. It's interesting that he's racing Roubaix. I mean, it's the chances of look. Okay, so Annemiek van Vluten decided she really wanted to race the first ever women's pair Roubaix this year. And she got seriously injured. And I mean, that's not surprising from someone who's a great climber. Nibali is not quite the same as Van Vluten, obviously. I think it's an interesting call that he would want to do Roubaix. I always love that Wiggins did it. Just to tick off the box of having five monuments, all, all five monuments in a year. Yeah, I think. I mean, yeah, he's, he runs the risk of hurting himself, right? And and frankly, like Van Vluten, the, the, the risk of hurting herself... <laughs> One was probably higher, and two, the 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 that hurts her Definitely season more, higher, yeah. right? Like because she's still out to win lots of stuff in a given season. And so, you know, if, if she ends up injured and, and it delays her, well, in this case, because Roubaix is at the end of the year, if it delays her her base season, but in you know, in a normal year when Roubaix is in April, if it delays her her training, you know, all the way up through you know maybe even June, July, if it's a bad injury, that's a really big deal for her and probably means a lot of races, not one that she would have won. Right. But let's be honest. Nibali is probably not winning a ton of races this year. He, he may snatch, he may snatch one or two. And so for him, it's sort of like, yeah, you know, give it a shot. Go for it. Why not? I, I, I always appreciate riders yeah. dropping themselves into races where they're, they're not really, they don't really belong <laughs> just because. <laughs> I mean, I, I think from it's an interesting uh, decision from Astana because it means that he's kind of taking up a spot that would be a lot more useful for probably somebody else to be on the team. I mean, maybe he'll be useful in the beginning part of the race, but um, he's getting more I mean, useful than anybody else. Astana throws that race. I, I mean, it's not, yeah, <laughs> eh. I mean, it never would have, it never would have like flown on track. There's no way that on track, sure. Fredo, he yeah. would have been like, I want to race Perry They would have been like, ha ha ha. Sit down. Who was the young American guy that Astana once chucked into Roubaix like the night before the race? Evan Evan Huffman. Oh, did Huffman race Roubaix? I'm pretty sure Evan Huffman raced Roubaix, and I he raced Roubaix in 2013. Did he finish? He did not. 
but he raced it. He raced in 2014 as well, both years. Yeah. So, but 2013 was was he was like a new. He had just popped over. I think via Specialized, which was sponsoring Astana at the time. He came up through kind of like Specialized Junior programs and things like that, and ended up with a World Tour ride at Astana. And I remember sitting down at a at a restaurant somewhere, maybe like somewhere near Compiègne, where the where the race starts. It was myself and Matt Bowden at the time and working at Velenews and and Huffman had basically been called up, you know, it, what, the race is on Sunday and he'd been called up like on Friday to, to get his butt up to Northern France to go race Roubaix. So anyway, my point being that Astana does not always field the strongest team at Perry Roubaix. <laughs> yeah, but to be fair, Evan Huffman was like, he was kind of a bigger. I mean, yeah, Huffman's like, he's won some World Tour races. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. In 2013, he was he was like young and had literally just shown up from California and they chucked him in Perry Roubaix. It went, as you would expect, not amazingly well, I don't think. I don't yeah, think. Yeah, but didn't Cannondale also chuck Phil Guyman famously into Perry Roubaix one year? I'm still I'm convinced that that was just a publicity stunt. I publicity was, stunt? Yeah. I mean, it's a publicity stunt that takes a spot up that could be useful. Yeah. Clearly, they had no other option. <laughs> I mean, sometimes that's the case, I guess. But anyway, my point being, Astana, I don't think Astana has ever really truly tried to win Paris-Roubaix. I guess I look at team rosters and I think about the... Well, okay, first of all, my mistake is that women's races only have six, so I'm thinking, okay, which six riders are going to be the most beneficial for this race? And then I think Nibali and Paris-Roubaix? No. Maybe not. Probably not <laughs> one of their top six. Yeah. Although you never know. Like I said, he's a classy bike rider. He's been around the block a couple times. I feel like he's probably is one of the top six for Astana at Roubaix. Yeah. I don't I mean that <laughs> roster's just not really tooled that way. All right. True. All right. We've gone around circles on this one enough. Let's move on to <laughs> a younger rider <laughs> who will probably win more bike races this year. Uh well, maybe. He's got he's got injuries maybe. going on right now. We talked about this a bit before. Matthew Vanderpool, uh knee surgery Dane, right? Yeah, that is correct. So Vanderpool, of course, has been dealing with back issues for some time. And that's been the sort of the main story is how his back issues have been affecting his uh, his early season. Well, his, his end of last year and, and the beginning of this year, he had to basically not race cross. He's taking a, a lengthy break from racing to recover from back issues. Um, and I think the the sense that I get is he's got this knee issue. And the team and he, and he as well and the doctor basically said, well, you're not racing anyway. Let's do some knee surgery. Uh, and so that's what they did. Uh, he underwent knee surgery recently. Apparently it went fine. We didn't really hear anything otherwise, so I guess it went fine. And uh, I don't think it's going to do too much to his kind of timetable just because he's already recovering from a back issue. And the team said it wasn't related. Uh, but, you know, knee surgery is not not easy. It's not fun to go through that i'm sure so another sort of thing that he's dealing with uh this off season and another thing that you know who knows might impact his build up to racing whenever that begins we don't really know at this point when he's going to get back to racing when when he's going to be healthy enough to compete and it, it it could you know his back issues alone could derail his attempt to race race the spring classics this year uh so this is just another another thing for vanderpool yeah, and I know we talked about this in previous episodes, but it 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 it's been sort of discussed around. Is he doing too much? Is he is he not taking the breaks that most professionals would take because he does every single type of cycling, basically, short of like downhill and BMX racing, which he might be fine at. I don't know. Yeah, it, it's you know these these guys live on the edge, right? They like, kind of like athletically, physically, they're often on the edge of what their bodies can handle, and if you tip over the edge, it can take a while to come back. So it's unfortunate, and we'll keep an eye on it. But we have not have a ton of additional information at this point in time. So be just speculation at this point. Should we talk COVID? Let's talk COVID. Uh, we got a couple COVID-related things happening. We had a bunch of team camps sort of shortened and things like that. Omicron is ripping through everything at this point. Uh and we also have some rules, some new laws in France around vaccinations. So that's fun. Dane, let's start with the, we got some camps canceled, right? Is this, is this a big deal? Not really. 
I mean, it's probably a big deal if you were hoping to get in some training with your teammates. But on the other hand, it's also probably pretty expected. I mean, the, the team camps, there's a lot of people there. And just knowing what we know about how prevalent Omicron is right now, it's probably not that surprising that a number of team camps, Yumbo Visma was, was a big one, and a couple of others, you know, had had COVID within the, within the camp. I mean, just statistically not that un, unlikely. Uh, but then the camps are called off, and so these riders then have to kind of do training on their own. Um, yeah, so it's just not, it's obviously not the ideal way to start your season. Uh, Yumbo Visma had, uh, they, they kind of rolled out their team plans, and like the next day they had to cancel camp. Um, yeah, I'm sure these riders are still going to get plenty of training in, uh, but they're not going to be doing it, you know, in big groups or in little groups. It's just going to be guys riding on their own, basically. I think it could actually have a knock-on effect because the team camps now are, like previously they used to just be, Everybody gets together, ride your bike for five hours, go hard in the climb, and try to recover better and build a better team spirit in the hotel at night. Whereas now, especially for the top World Tour teams, there seems to be so much more preparation for race season. You know, building lead out trains, practicing lead outs. Uh, you know, Grand Tour team getting together, the Classics team getting together, and much more structured training in that. And you know, if they're missing out on those big blocks, uh, and certainly the type of intensity the riders could get from that sort of training environment they, they probably won't be able to replicate that on their own at home so while it might not affect you know the guys going for the Ardennes classics or the grand tours for the spring classics riders who you know need to sort of hit the ground running or or and at least in fairly good shape for Ted Newsblad and current Brussels current that could have a knock-on effect to, to the fitness that they have for those races well, there's just less racing this winter than there normally would be anyway, right? There's just going to be, it, it's going to be more difficult to be fully fit and firing by the beginning of March than I think in previous years where we had, you know, t guys would race TDU and they'd get sort of a big volume block in there. And, you know, we, we would always see them, they'd, they'd do the entire, you know, five hour stage and then they'd ride all the way back to the hotel and make it seven and a half or whatever. And then they'd go do Middle Eastern races and get a bunch of basically speed work in and echelons and stuff like that. And, you know, now we're basically looking at a, a more sort of, I guess, historically traditional calendar where some of the races in Southern Europe become the, the only ones that are really able to be used for tune up ahead of the, the spring classics. And it's it, you know, back in those days when before TDU and before the, the Middle Eastern races existed, riders definitely came into those early spring classics a, a bit softer, right? A bit, a bit less ready to race. Um, so I think I think it could actually not just the team camps, but the sort of the way that the whole winter is coming together could affect the way that we see guys racing, gals racing in early March. So speaking of, of COVID and the way that it's uh, affecting cycling at the moment, France just came out with a new law or, or I guess sort of an alteration of, a, of an existing law uh, requiring... Well, the end result is basically that most athletes will need to be vaccinated to compete in France. There's some details here, which is, you know, it's, it's primarily related to areas like public stadiums where France has historically, well, not historically, as, as for the last six months or so, allowed people in, but you need to show either proof of vaccination or proof of a negative COVID test. They have this health pass. It's an app on your phone. You get a QR code. It gets scanned on the way in. It's a pretty easy system. The change now is that they are going to remove the part of that that gets you into buildings with just a negative COVID test. So you basically have to be vaccinated to get into sort of big public spaces like that. Now, cycling is a little bit different, obviously, because we don't do stadiums in cycling. But you have to imagine that there are going to be spaces, for example, at the Tour de France that are considered public spaces where you know, you're going to have to get scanned to get in. And this will be this will be an effect for the Tour de France, which means in theory, every single rider that goes to the Tour will have to be vaccinated ahead of those races. In fact, French races start at the end of this month. Uh, I think it's Tour de Mediterranean. Or is it Marseille's at the end of this month? Yeah. Anyway, it's coming up in two weeks, week and a half. And I wonder, I don't know what the sort of prevalence of vaccination is within the professional peloton, but I have to imagine that there are some riders who are unvaccinated and probably quite uh, vociferously so. And I wonder how that's going to affect French racing. 
There's also the sort of question of the booster and, and uh, at what point you become, at what point you start, you need to be boosted to kind of count. Uh, and I know that Greg Van Avermaet, for instance, has not been boosted. He uh, said that he was going to wait on that. So I kind of wonder, I mean, he rides for a French team. Does he need that? Is he going to need to do that before he uh, races in France? Or is he just going to not go into any buildings while he's there waiting, you know, and, and, and sort of in between his, his initial vaccination and his booster? I'm just thinking that like, so for example, at the tour last year to get inside even the broader bubble, like the Tour de France bubble, you had, you, you had to scan a, a COVID pass or show that you had COVID vaccination, right? It's like for me to p- pick up my press credentials at the tour last year, I had to show proof of vaccination. And so, uh, you know, I don't think they necessarily have to be in a stadium to have this in effect, right? Like the, the Tour de France is a mobile stadium is sort of the way that it actually functions, which is that there are big fences and to get in anywhere near anybody to get to where the buses are, to get to where the start line is last year, they were, they were scanning COVID passes. So I, I don't think it's going to matter whether he goes inside or not. I think that anybody who wants to race the Tour de France this year is going to have to be vaccinated by uh, under whatever definition the French government decides, whether it's, you know, just double vaxxed or boosted or whatever. And I, I do think that there's going to be probably a fair amount of, backlash against that i would have to imagine just based off what we've seen from the rest of the world and you know djokovic and and australia and all all the rest of this stuff that's happening at this point in time i have to imagine that this is going this is going to be an issue for for some riders that said we don't really have any super high profile anti-vax folks in the peloton at this point we'll find out later in the year when somebody's stuck in a hotel yeah we we will absolutely find out you know I mean, Perry Nice is probably a, a pretty good one to, to sort of, you know, some of the first like real big races where big high profile riders going to show up. And but again, I think that, you know, the, what we were just talking about with the, with the lack of sort of traditional winter races, there's going to be more people racing in southern France and, and Spain in the next six weeks or so trying to get ready for the classics as well. So I think we're going to find out sooner or later whether we have <laughs> whether we have any real, real uh, reaction to this from the peloton. Maybe, Dane, you could figure out if there's any anti-vaxxers in in lotto by going through that uh, race calendar for all the riders and seeing if any of them have no french races well i think the race calendar might have come out before this news i think so we'll see well, i guess what <laughs> okay. we'll have to look is to see so we'll if, have to look out for changes yeah see if there's changes if, if suddenly oh you know what i don't really want to race pair roubaix i don't want to race pair nice anymore uh just change my mind don't worry about it <laughs> yeah that could happen who knows yeah yeah, I mean, you get into sort of interesting legal territory, right? Where where can a private entity force employees to get vaccinated so they can work? And then the fact that a lot of professional cyclists are actually contractors they're not they're not full time staff for their team, so that can can they actually be forced by their teams to do this? If, for example, some rider is not vaccinated and therefore cannot race the Tour de France, and that's part of their contract is that they have to be available to race the Tour de France, can they get fired? I I think that we're we're probably going to see a bit of this i don't think we're gonna see a ton of it because from what we gather most riders are already vaccinated but i think that we will see some repercussions from this this over the next reverberations from this over the next five six months or so could also change too with this law i mean people could go get i'm I'm sure not all of those people but some of them maybe but i'm sure not all of those people are sort of vehemently i'm not going to get a vaccine i'm sure there's a lot of and I just haven't gotten around to it, you know, in a year and a half. Or I don't want to deal with the side effects while I'm racing. Sure, which is Greg Van Avermont. You know, he got it, but now he says he's not going to get the booster because he doesn't want to deal with the side effects, which, you know, he blamed basically a long stretch of not being good on the side effects of the vaccine last year. And so that's, and that could be a lot of riders. Who knows? Hmm. Plus there's Andrew Tolansky out there. Oh, God, doing don't bring thing. him up. <laughs> don't bring him <laughs> Let's leave the crazy out of this. There was me wondering if I was going to get, I, I was wondering if I was going to get lynched for saying anti-vaxxers and you've just gone and said that. So. <laughs> oh, Andrew Tolansky. We're just going to leave it at that. If our listeners want to go find out what I'm talking about, they can go do that. Uh, <laughs> we're not going to talk about it. According to a UCI World Tour seminar that was done in December, 75% of teams had more than 80% vaccinated riders, something along those lines. Interesting. Yeah. So, I mean, we're talking about dozens of riders that are not vaccinated yet. Well, we'll keep an eye on it. That's all we got at this point in time. Last little tidbit here. I, actually, we don't need to spend a ton of time talking about this because uh, Ian Trellor and I are going to do a little special episode later in the week on this subject. But next hash. Dane, do you want to just sort of like 
tease this for people? Yeah, I feel like the teasing is all that we can. I mean, this is like there's so much to talk about, <laughs> and I don't think we can really give it do it justice without basically just saying, "Hey, go listen to some to some other you know fuller discussion, or go certainly go read the article." So Ian Trellar has been tracking the story of what the heck happened with Nexthash joining and then leaving, basically. Although they, I don't think leaving, I don't know if they ever officially left. They they told the world that they were going to be sponsoring the the team that became Quebec and Nexthash. That didn't really go according to plan. Uh, there were some there were some uh, missed payments along the way. And, were there uh, ever any and payments? This, <laughs> I think I think there may have been uh, some. Yeah, basically, you read the story. Uh, it, it's it's a wild and crazy story. Another another one from the Intralar, who's sort of a chief wild and crazy story correspondent. Yeah, he writes it like no one else can, and just gets. There's some details in there that will. Yeah, that will really surprise you, and uh, it's it's a really uh, you really feel for the team, but at the same time, it's I mean some of the some of the um, the questions are right there on the surface. Uh, it doesn't take a lot of looking to see that this was probably doomed to fail, you know, from the get go. So it's a really interesting story, and I just I think we should just say read it, read it, or 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 maybe wait for more from. From Kaylee and Ian, it's it's uh, quite an interesting tale of the how this came together and fell apart, and uh, what what you know what happened there. Yeah, head over to the website, or like I said, we're gonna have a special episode later this week if you if you don't like reading. <laughs> uh, this this I'm just gonna read the subhead of this story. What's the thread connecting cycling with North Korean military hackers and the adult industry? Next hash, Team Quebec's last title sponsor. So there you go. It's a good story. <laughs> I, I've, I read it earlier today and I was delighted that I now finally understand what, where the name comes from, Next Hash. It's obviously the next hash job for, <laughs> for the people involved here. Five dad joke points for Ronan. And we move on to, <laughs> we move on to, <laughs> we move on to Nerd Nugget. Nerd alert. Nerd alert. Nerd alert. Nerd Ed alert. Ronan's Nerd true Nerd reason to be uh, on this podcast <laughs> beyond bad jokes, Ronan. So you, you well, actually, I think our, our Velo Club members picked up on something uh, into last week or over the weekend, and you did a bit of uh, additional poking and prodding and reporting on this uh, Zwift Premium. What is this, and what are we? What are we keeping an eye on here? Yeah. So basically, uh, Zwift uh, or a, a th- third party acting on behalf of Zwift conducting some market research, uh, emailed a survey to Zwift users the last week, uh, just sort of gauging their, uh, yeah, just collecting market research, I guess, on, on behalf of Zwift. Um, and, and last week's was particularly interesting because one of the questions in the survey, uh, surveyed uh, Zwift users on how much they would be willing to pay for some Zwift premium features or a Zwift premium with some, um, specifically some training plan features. Uh, though the, this isn't exactly the first survey that Zwift has put out. Uh, and they, you know, recently they had a survey that came out that perhaps shouldn't have come out about some hardware they're planning to launch. They've had surveys in the past about pricing, surveys about, you know, what sort of features uh, members would or subscribers would like to see in future, uh, and yeah, I just I spoke to Zwift to sort of see what how how much should we be reading into this potential Zwift premium that that was mentioned in, in last week's survey, and the sort of response I got was that basically Zwift are trying to be a lot more proactive with the the service that they send out because they realize that in the past some of them have landed quite negatively. Um, I'm not quite sure if they succeeded in this one because over the weekend, the the internet kind of blew up uh, in response to this survey that went out. And basically, what it um, what it was asking uh, members was if they would pay extra for a Zwift premium that offered them an adaptive training calendar, uh, some customized adaptive training plans to follow, uh, daily AI or machine learning powered workout recommendations. Uh, automatic threshold powered FTP detection, which does already exist, but uh, I believe what they're referring to there was a sort of a much more precise way of uh, recommending new updates to a writer's FTP. And lastly, the ability to 
push workouts that a rider might do on Zwift to their head unit, either Wahoo or Garmin or Hammerheads, to complete those activities outdoors, which is you know a huge step away from from what Zwift has traditionally been all about. Um, but yeah, that 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 was the sort of offering that was that was muted in the Swift Premium. Respondees then had the chance to sort of suggest how much they might be willing to pay for it, starting at I think like thirty dollars extra per month. And every time they clicked no, I believe I, I didn't get the survey myself, so I, I haven't actually seen it. But from what I understand, every time they clicked no to a pricing, they were offered a lower price until they eventually got to the price that they <laughs> agreed they might be willing to pay. Um, no. You know, I, I've I, I spoke to um, Zwift yesterday to try and get some comment on this, and is there any you know chance of this actually coming to fruition? And basically, what we're well, not even basically, I'll just read out the quote was uh, from Chris Nook, direct director of PR at Zwift, told me that we regularly contact market research, or we regularly conduct market research to help us develop the product our community wants most. Last week, we conducted a survey focused on advanced training tools. Everything in the survey survey is purely hypothetical, but it is designed to give us a more accurate read on the demand for such products, uh, which basically means we can't really say a whole lot about this at the moment. It might be happening, it might not be happening, um, but certainly the internet forums are alive with speculation. You know, uh, from you know quite a lot of criticism from some Swift users that they would rather see Swift focus on improving their core. Uh, their, their core services uh, rather than trying to extend further uh, to others who are speculating, you know, um, partnerships or acquisitions of other training platforms such as Trainer Road or Exert. And, uh, and then, you know, some, some forum members tracking uh, Eric Min's whereabouts and sort of trying to come up with uh, conclusions as to which company <laughs> Zwift might be acquiring from that. Apparently he's in Reno at the moment, which is obviously where Trainer Road is from and quite a lot of the features muted here uh, closely, very, very closely resemble what Trainer Road launched with their adaptive training feature last year. So yeah, who knows? Probably just a kind of space to watch, but... Eric, Eric Min is the CEO of Zwift, founder and CEO of Zwift, just, just to... Yes, I should have said that, yeah. So that would be why they were paying attention to where he's traveling. Mm-hmm. <laughs> how do how do they have a? They have I a think he posted something on Twitter. <laughs> or what's the? <laughs> <laughs> what's the somebody stick an, uh, an Apple AirTag on his bike? Like what? What happened here? Uh, I think he. I think he tweeted a location or something. Uh, uh, some tweets, sort of social media. Do have post. locations on them unless you turn mm-hmm. that off. Mm-hmm. Oh. Fascinating. So Zwift is poking away at some things that uh actually i mean there's there's quite a few there's quite a few different companies doing stuff like this at the moment i mean we did that we did that podcast with wahoo on system uh you know they're building a whole sort of like training network platform app thing and then obviously trainer road like you're saying a lot of the things that are, that are talked about in this survey are, are pretty directly mirror things that trainer road is trying to do it does feel like we're on the cusp of this of this sort of like AI coaching revolution. I would say, uh, maybe bad news for the coaches out there, Ronan. I think you're one of those. Uh, <laughs> but, but yeah, I mean, like you know, I think for a lot of people, it's a it's a pretty interesting idea of just you know a, a system that will take what you've done, how much work you put in, you know, something that can tell how, how quickly you're recovering, for example, give you recommendations for what you can do next. I mean, I you know you can you can imagine sort of a system in which uh, not only is it taking the amount of workload that it knows that you've done, but like, you know, it's connecting to what's the, what's the ring that like aura ring or whatever it is, or a, or a Fitbit or something whoop like that. Or something. Yeah. Or a whoop, or like that's something that is, that is tracking how well you're recovering, you know, heart rate variability stuff and basically saying, okay, well, yeah, you can go do, you can go do the full batch of intervals today or, oh, nope rest day today and it's giving you this real-time feedback like the, the kind of feedback frankly that would be quite expensive from a real coach because they would have to be paying attention to you 24 <laughs> 7 i think it's a pretty interesting it's an interesting pathway to go and it's probably not going to get you quite as you know quite as far as a real coach who can who can really tailor things but i can get pretty damn close and probably be a heck of a lot cheaper yeah i think so and like for for me personally i know i have 
tried to use, or quite often I actually did use a lot of Zwift's workouts, but they're just, the interface is so clunky. You're trying to scroll to pick one workout and you scroll the whole library and the workouts aren't exactly what I would prescribe myself, but you know, it's just so handy to load one of those rather than trying to custom create my own. So uh, I've quite often thought in the past, that, you know, something like Trainer Road or Exert or what I think System eventually wants to become, you know, if, if Zwift had that, or, you know, or sorry, I've quite often thought in the past that I wanted to use something like that, but to tell you the truth, I want to have, I want to clock up the kilometers on Zwift. I want to clock up the sweat droplets. And, you know, those things actually do matter to me and they matter to a lot of people. Uh, and although you can run a trainer road workout on an iPad and run Zwift on your laptop and have the two almost working, but not quite at the same time, yeah, it's just too clunky. So to think that you could have all of those in one package, you could have the virtual world on Zwift and have, you know, the sort of science-based workouts. I think that would interest quite a lot of people. Um, I would probably, one, be willing to pay a bit more for that. But yeah, there was certainly a lot of people who are not willing to pay more for it. Abby would also pay more for that. Swift, yeah. take my money. <laughs> I mean, the, the, the purpose is to build an ecosystem, right? And and Swift has certainly has the cash to make acquisitions as necessary or develop something, but frankly, the acquisition route is probably easier, faster, quicker, more effective for them at this point. I so personally can't see Zwift developing this themselves anytime soon. Uh, yeah. They have just so much else to work on. And we've seen, you know, Trainer Road did focus on this entirely and and they're they, they still haven't got to the place where they want with with uh, adaptive training and you know and all the features rolled out. And we've seen with Wahoo system, it's where they potentially want to go in the future but again they you know they they didn't have it all ready for when wahoo system was launched but just because it is such a vast thing to develop so certainly the acquisition route seems to make sense to me all right we'll keep an eye on it thanks for digging in ronan our chief zwift correspondent i think uh particularly co-chief the next co-chief abby's <laughs> also co-chief zwift correspondent abby do you want do you want to be co-chief zwift correspondent i together? love zwift so much so <laughs> the funny thing is i kind of have to say that i i don't for me it's a means to an end i live in ireland and if i want to train well in winter it's very very useful my happiness level now that i'm back on zwift after many many months of not being able to do anything because there's a parasite uh, leeching all of the energy out of me in my uterus I'm like back on Zwift finally, and I'm like so much happier. I'm gonna tell you, it's like that. 20 years from now, we're gonna play this podcast. <laughs> a very cute parasite, but a parasite nonetheless. <laughs> I might get, I might get on Zwift this today, this afternoon. Actually, I I, I got to start working toward my Leadville goals. I only have eight months. Come drive up to Boulder. You can actually ride outside today. It, I mean, I can ride outside here. It's just. I have to put my road bike back together from the Tour de France because I don't ride road bikes in Durango. <laughs> I just like I've just ridden nothing but mountain bikes since July because I have the, some of the best mountain bike terrain on the planet outside my back door. But it snowed, so now I can't mountain bike, and so I've just been cross country skiing, and I need to ride my bike again. I think the, you need uh, a coach, Kaylee the, the eight minutes on the e-bike to drop my daughter off in the morning is not going to get me ready for Leadville. I don't I don't think I should probably start spinning a bit. I don't know. Skiing with that chariot was pretty sweet. That might that might put you in, get you into shape. Oh, that'll definitely get me into shape. That'll 100% get me into shape. Yeah. Yeah, we got a Thule. For people that don't know what I'm talking about. Like we got a Thule, uh like bike chariot that you could put skis in the bottom and went cross country skiing with it yesterday. My wife and I are both former ski racers and and love that in the winter time and it is the best anybody out there who's thinking about it go do it go buy and you live somewhere where you can, you know there's snow and you can ski it's so much fun and the kiddo loved it she's just back there giggling and then fell asleep <laughs> that's pretty much ideal <laughs> all right our final tangent of the day let's call it for this week like i said we're gonna have a little special episode on ian's next hash story later in the week go check out freewheeling go check out nerd alert nerd alert this this week at jeff kabush on it which you may have read jeff kabush's uh column on the site last week 
Really interesting column. And then the, uh, the nerds went and called him up about some nerd stuff. So go check out that episode. Abby, freewheeling this week? Yes. Aussie Nats? What else? Aussie Nationals, a little bit of cyclocross. We actually do do cyclocross coverage on the freewheeling podcast. And um, a conversation with Aliza Longaborghini about Audrey Cardon Rago for the uh, Unsung Heroes series about domestiques. Good stuff. All fantastic episodes. Part of the Cycling Tips Podcast Network. It sounds very official when we say it that way, but really we just make a bunch of podcasts every week. <laughs> All right. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll be back next week. Bye-bye. <laughs>